Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then mm-hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. A notable tech giant launches an AI music generator. And Jimmy Allen and Slow Tie Allegations. You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. Want to put some emphasis on that today with my host, Coast to Coast, Joseph Wazaleski. Joe, how are you? I am great, Colin. Oh, yeah? I'm great today. I, uh, we had to push the podcast back an hour because I'm scrambling and my time management skills are not the best. That's fine. I'm tired and I wanted to play knows. Zelda, so that's fine. <laughs> I haven't. Okay, Honestly, worst week for Zelda to come out for me. <laughs> like I, I bought it, so I'm I'm so terrified to start it because I I feel like if I start it, I'll never stop. And there's so much shit <laughs> that I have to get done this next week. So I'm like, Been you there. know what? Yeah, I'm just like I'm kind of pushing it off. But I have a I have a flight tomorrow, and I'll have a lot of time. Me and there Zelda, you go. or me and Link. Me and Zelda like have a lot, uh, a lot of time together. That's like uh, I saw a clip. <laughs> sorry, complete side note before we actually get into music business news. I uh, saw a clip because I like to watch Jeopardy from time to time. And uh, if you know me in real life, or if you really even psychosocially know me through that show, that should be no surprise to you at all. Um, but one of the Jeopardy things that like the thing about Jeopardy is just sometimes they like to be dicks to people. And, uh, like, literally the final question was, like, basically, like, uh, this video game series by Nintendo is the same name as uh, Scott Fitzgerald's uh, wife. And so everyone just kept putting, what is Zelda? And they were like, no, that's not it. And I'm like, you you know it's it. And then, like, they finally got to the last person. The last person is, like, the Legend of Zelda. And they're like, yeah. That's the correct oh answer. The Legend that's such, of Zelda. That's a bullshit. <laughs> that's and I was, bullshit. I was. The thing that drives me crazy about it is like I know 
you know, Jeopardy, you have to put everything in the form of a question. That's fine. But it, it what drives me crazy is that, like, for some reason, and I don't know if it's like even Trebek would do this when he was the host. It's it seems like a rule that like if you get it sort of right, especially in the final Jeopardy question, even in like a regular thing where it's like two people head to head, if you get it sort of right, they have to be like, "No, you're absolutely wrong." Yeah, and be like, "Yeah, what? you're and, horrible." For and then of and that. then after the person says like, "Oh, it's the Legend of Zelda," they're like, "You guys were close," and you're like, "You couldn't have told me that immediately when I put the <laughs> answer in." What was the lead up for? Anyway, uh, let's get into it, Joe. Uh, let's talk about speaking of lead up. Uh, basically, we're talking about AI. First off, um, AI is in an interesting place when it comes to music, as it always seems to be. But, you know, me and Joe have talked about it a lot on the show, the ethics of AI, all this kind of stuff. And what are the I've main so many AI conversations just in public? Like right today, my hair stuff like my I was getting my hair cut and we were talking about AI. It's like so I feel like it's so pervasive in everyday life right now like it's right it's very hot topic i think it's a very perplexing issue and there's a lot of issues with it that are to be blunt with you not being addressed at all but uh a lot of the time when we talked about ai you know it felt like it, it it felt like oh these small companies that come out of the blue and then they have some tool and people are like that's cool and that's kind of a cool thing and then all of a sudden it just like flies by the wayside and we forget about that tool until another one comes up you know and it, like like I said it's just these like small companies or they're like these hidden divisions behind mega corporations and I'm here to tell you that music has a new one and it's not hidden at all and it's by one of the most well known. Uh, people in the tech space, and we're talking about Google. And so Google, yep. Google, Google. Uh, I was actually uh, they have music Michael biz. Google. Michael Google. They have the uh, <laughs> they they have the, like the music biz convention here in town, and I was like hanging out with some people on a rooftop, and I got into this deep conversation about AI, and it sounds was like the most music biz. <laughs> I know. Situation I know. Ever. <laughs> and like the thing is, is that I have a couple theories about it. I think a lot of people kind of get really doom and gloom really fast, and there's very blatant issues, but I think we can talk about some of it on a whole. But let me tell you about Google first before I get into that. So Google has entered the chat and they have developed a kind of if you if you're familiar with the one that caught everybody's attention before, which is Chat GPT, uh, they've developed something close to that, but it's a music generator called Music LM, and it's the thing about it, especially compared to other platforms, is that its ease of access and also upfrontness is kind of disturbing compared to other ones for lack of a better term all that's required to get into this one is a google account which i guarantee if you're probably a person in the 21st century that is listening to a podcast you have a google account and it what's funny is all you have to do is just hit a couple okays of terms of service and you are basically in and like most of these ai things you know it requires a lot of servers and time so you got to get in line basically right but then you can go right ahead and use it which i got into the site and like basically it asks you to input a prompt and what's cool about it is it actually unlike a lot of other ai generators um will generate two different types of music for you to listen to so you could be like you could say something you know like a kind of genre defining maybe like smooth 
like, you know, smooth jazz and just let it go. Right. And then be like, you'll get two pieces of music. And what you do is that you vote on which one of the two you prefer, which of these you feel like actually represents what you're trying to say, which Google says will quote, help improve the AI model, which makes sense, you know, and it's not like a lot of other ones where you either get one AI generated thing, or sometimes the one that I don't like is you get like a scatter shot where it's like, here's like seven of them and it's kind of overwhelming. So I think Google has found a pretty good balance between here. They said that this AI, uh, the model was trained on 5 million audio clips amounting to 280,000 hours of music at 24 kilohertz, which I, that what a, like I could not find anything else to define that more. If you're an audio person, you could probably feel where I'm going with this, but they just say 24 kilohertz. I don't know if that's, the frequency range, like from zero to 24,000 hertz, which the audible hearing spectrum is from zero to 20K, you know, just for you people, unless you can hear like a dog whistle out there. Or if that's like the sample rate, you know, like a CD is like 44.1 kilohertz. So I'm like very confused about that. But like, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest, it's kind of, it, it would have bothered me if I was listening to the show. So that's why I wanted to put it in there. <laughs> anyway, according to, Google's researchers, uh, future work may focus on lyric generation along with the improvement of text conditioning and vocal quality. Another aspect is the modeling of high-level song structure like introduction, verse, and chorus, which honestly is the next steps for especially these AIs when it comes to music generation. A lot of them will be like, oh, here's an existing song, and then we put like a voice on it or something like that. I'd be interested to see kind of where you know, this can go and especially vocal quality. I was very glad that they put that at the top forefront because as me and Joe were talking about just believe two weeks ago about uh, the Drake AI that really went viral on TikTok. Uh, that was honestly the worst part of it is that the vocal quality is really bad and they're really prevailing on TikTok still. And that's the main thing that I can find when I go, Oh, this is an AI in about 0.1 seconds because of the vocal quality. Mm-hmm. Um, according Sometimes to researchers, it's cadence too, I feel like, just that like is true. How the voice transitions to another word. Right. And that's kind of, I think that's what they mean by text conditioning. Like the idea of like how someone would sing into one phrase into another, you know, because sometimes you're kind of dragged certain words. You're going to, and all of this is inflection and very much based on, you know, how you were, you know, raised, what place in the world you came up in, how you speak. And so like, there's a lot of things that don't make this a perfect system. But anyway, according to the researchers, uh, amongst the risks, because they actually made a paper about this that they published internally and then externally in Google, they basically said that, uh, which I, I thought this was a very, very huge point that we can hit on in a second. It says, quote, Uh, The generated samples will reflect the biases present in the training data, raising the question about uh, appropriateness for music generation for for cultures underrepresented in the training data, while at the same time also raising concerns about cultural appropriation, which I really want to put an asterisk in that because we're going to come back to that. Um, They designed this not to copy. Also, they really kind of went on this in this paper. They said to they were trying to generate patterns for Google, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. kind of take all this stuff amalgamation and go, Oh, if you gave me these words, here's some kind of like patterns and go again, again, 
especially legal gray area. We don't know how much his patterns of copying and all that stuff. But Google claims that only a tiny fraction of examples were memorized exactly, while for 1% of the examples, we can identify an appropriate match. So they're saying 1% of the time, Google themselves can be like, hey, this is a copy. This is not a pattern, right? Because it's just Mm -hmm. generating things off of what it's heard. Um, Again, this is coming at a very important time, especially with Google being the one doing this, such a huge you know, player in the tech space. If you don't know who Google is, you're not on this earth. And it <laughs> is at the same time that Google has been pushing a giant AI initiative across the company. Uh, and also we're seeing, you know, uh, AI being talked about on Capitol Hill a lot, as well as Google has made their own version of chat GPT, which is called Bard, which I believe they're going to publish in over 180 countries very soon. So yeah, it it's, um, it's mainstream. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's the thing since we've been covering this on the show and AI in general is a lot of these have been these obscure, you know, Oh, here we go. Like, this small tech firm has developed supposedly this AI algorithm, which, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of discrepancy when it comes to AI and also what is counting as AI. And people can say that like, Hey, this is AI. And then you find out that it's like, no, you kind of assisted this thing and you made it yourself. And then maybe part of it is automated, but you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of gray area to, but Google with the financial and you know name notoriety that they have is in a place that they could very much very much push the needle on this technology especially compared to a lot of these smaller kind of tech uh startups that are basically being acquired and from my understanding look to be just kind of shadowed in the background of other organizations right um Anyway, Joe, are you excited about Google getting into this space? Do we think that like this could be beneficial maybe to kind of pull the needle on conversation for AI? Or do we think that maybe it's like, uh, Google, maybe you should pull the pull the gas pedal back a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, we, we don't know everything. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, what people put it the best is they call it, they're calling it now the AI arms race because it's like all these massive companies trying to one-up each other and get into it faster than the other one and they're finding those niches and those those little areas i think where it gets weird is it's it's so fast like ai technology you know we've been working on this as humans for like years and years and years and now it seems like within the span of two years it has really amped up to where it's getting to the point now where AI is helping build AI, you know, and it's 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 very cyclical, it's very fast and changing, and it's growing up uh, in a very like uh, jet plane way. <laughs> I think that's a pretty a good term. I mean, I yeah, I, it's what you know. And at the same time, it's like before this jet plane takes off, can we do like a pre-flight checklist you know what i mean yeah and people are like we don't have time for that it's like it's it's too late yeah it is too late um because chat gpt was open to the public it's it's pretty that was the launching pad we've been in the air (laughs) you know right so it's while we're in the air we got to figure out how can we salvage this situation um i do think that 
it's it's scary. I mean, it's always scary when there's a disruptor in technology, right? Like this was this was a similar conversation of like when social media came about and especially videos on social media. A lot of people are talking about how this was the end for the film industry and for TV and you know, the whole thing. Right. But then, you know, those those uh those companies those those mediums were able to catch up eventually and learn how to work with the tools of social media to be able to work for it and so i think i think i don't know i it really depends no one has the answer right now um you can definitely do a lot of bad things with ai you can do a lot of good things with ai and i think it's just one of those situations where this is just an ever-changing like it was bound to happen like a disruptor of this size was bound to happen and i don't think it's surprising that it's here right fair and like i don't think it's necessarily bad that it's here i think it's just things are going to change and you have to especially the music industry you have to be willing to change or you're going to get left behind very fast. I mean, yeah. I mean, for example, what in my mind, since I work in live entertainment, I think of, I said, like, you know, what if the possibility, and a lot of the time with any of these questions where there's a lot of tech going on and whatever, you kind of just have to think of possibilities and, like, rotation, basically, a lot of the time, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I think I was like, well, what if instead of someone mixing for a house or something, you know, at a concert, what if a AI did it? You know what I mean? What if... We didn't have someone mix. It's like, oh, set up this system and or even like load this file into this like machine, right? At every venue. And it will just knows what's going on and goes, oh, you know, I'm just going to shoot a band out of my head. Um, Kings of Leon is playing tonight, right? Like be like, oh, of course, you know, Kings of Leon is playing tonight and we have a file that we're going to put in this computer and it just it, it'll listen via microphone to what's going on and it'll make choices going on if you guys have listened for a while i actually brought this up with mastering there's a lot of like automation going on with mastering right now especially of records because that's always been considered a very almost robotic it is very artistic task but it's a, it's a very robotic task sometimes yeah. especially when it was came to physical media so there mm -hmm. is benefits to it where i think like you know maybe somebody doesn't have to fly around the country if they don't want to or you know doesn't if they don't feel well it's like oh you know they could do it but i definitely think that a lot of technology and especially with ai we're still not a point there and at the end of the day, um, I actually have been reading this book. It's called The uh, Toyota Production Method. And one of the things with it is it says uh, that one of the key principles with it is automation with a human touch. And I think that is what we will see for a long time. I yeah. just don't, especially here, I'll give you a great example. We have had great digital technology in audio for years, right? The ability mm. to use networking to send audio to you over your phone the ability to do a whole concert over like the same you know cable that you use in your home to set up your wi-fi router right like literally i yeah. we've i've set it up before whatever do you know how many people 
in live sound refuse to do digital things and are still using a giant analog desk and a <laughs> giant, you know what I mean? Like a giant analog copper system where they're just sending electrical signals to a PA via copper, you know what I mean? Before it gets amplified, right? All this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. There's a lot of like weird resistance in music to some of this stuff. And then it becomes almost like a selling point, which is the weirdest part. Yeah. Right. Being it, like, it becomes this whole artistic journey of like, this is what you're supporting. This is in, like the thing yeah. you're, you're, you're anti new age to some extent in the late nineties and early two thousands tape was seen as going out and it is lower fidelity than digital recording. And now people use it as a selling point of being like, wow, it sounds different. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, uh, <laughs> sounds worse. Let's make money. <laughs> Anyway, that's the one thing for people that want to get scared with it. I think also, I just want to bring this in, is I think if we saw, let's say, total, absolute, like, hey, what could AI replace, you know, even if it is shitty? And I, you know what's the first thing I thought of? Editing. That? <laughs> Advertising. Yeah. I thought about how many guys are going to be there. Did you see the dog there? ad? The AI dog ad? No, I have not it's seen on, that. What it is this? taking off on TikTok. So there was like, there's this AI generator of like, you can feed it prompts. It will, it will render out like videos. Um, and it's this dog ad that like the concept of the dog ad is like, it's different shots of dogs in suits in office environments, like being human. But then it's like, at the end, it's like, buy pause so that like uh your dogs can eat like you too or something right it's like but it's like really well done it's like i could see it actually like being a real commercial and it doing really really well um and so it is like that kind of stuff i mean ad buyers are probably salivating at the mouth with this technology because they're like finally we don't have to pay like a hundred thousand dollars for these commercials. This is exactly what made. I thought. Same mentality, but let's take it a little bit more micro. How many people? I know a lot of people out there that make money from making commercial music, and specifically like very friendly, either like you know stuff that you could go buy in a pack, right? Be like, hey, I want to start a channel on YouTube, and I want a bunch of intro and outro music. I can, oh, okay, yeah, we'll sell you this like beat pack. And you could use it for music. You know what I mean? It's like a hundred bucks, but it's like 50 songs. That's the kind of stuff that I think about, right? Is stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Or the reason I thought advertising was if there's one thing that someone who works at a giant company that doesn't do anything with entertainment really doesn't understand is why the hell is all the entertainment stuff so expensive, right? And so my first thought is, oh yeah, we'll make this ad in-house or whatever if, you know, because video... AI is difficult right now, right? It's a little bit di- different level. Yeah, but like, it, it looks messed up. <laughs> but <laughs> AI, much. but AI, like for music, is getting better at a faster pace than I think video one is, right? So what I think is like, oh, why would I pay for some like artist or some little collective that makes commercial free music or something like that? 
You know what I mean? Why would I pay for that? Why don't I just use this generator from Google and be like, here's my, uh, you know, Colin McKay's painter shop in the middle of, you know, Nashville, Tennessee. Come see us. You know what I mean? And then the, the music in the background is AI generated. That's the kind of stuff that I think about that will probably be immediate first kind of things. Stuff that innately people either one don't see the value in immediately of having someone craft something like that or two never have or never will you know what i mean that's the kind of stuff that i think about um but yeah oh my god i'm looking at this ai dog ad you just sent um but it's it's freaky anyway (laughs) not to go on that but that's that's the first thing and i think like a lot of people i think a lot of people look at this idea too macro sometimes because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think, oh my God, what happens if AI automates everything? And I go, yeah, we have to be kind of my first point. We have to be prepared for something like that. You have to be able to pivot if maybe you're a musician or work in music and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm like, what about the little things? Let's talk about the little things that I could see happening in the next year or two, not like 10 years from now. You know what I mean? And I know mm-hmm. here's the last thing I want to say about this too. There's some tech bro out there that's going to hear me saying all this, and they're going to go, it's already here. We're here right now. In the next one to two years, you could have total automation. And I go, absolutely not. You know, one, because of the pushback going on with it is one of my main issues. And two, personally, there's a financial incentive going on in tech right now. How many, if you've been listening to the show, how many times have me and Joe been talking about that the tech sector is like, hey, we have no money. We are trying our best to get money out of people. Twitter, Microsoft, Google, all these people. We are laying off people to save money for the company. You know what I mean? A lot of this AI stuff, I'm sure is there. It's a new technology point. There are people working very hard at it. There is also, I guarantee you, people in tech that are over-exaggerating to hell to save their ass right now. Because, again, we've talked about it multiple times on the show. Economy isn't doing the best. People are trying to reap what they've sown by being like, hey, I bought Google when it was like, you know, $2,000 a share. Uh, that's probably not a real number. But, like, I bought it at a very high price, and then now it's lower. And so I'm pissed. Google, you need to do something about it. And they go, no, 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 hold out. We're still in a growth period because of AI. It's very similar to me, uh, kind of what we joked about previously on the show, is Facebook and the metaverse. When did the metaverse come up? Do you remember, Joe, like what period in Facebook that uh, came up? Right after the Cambridge Analytica Thank bullshit. You. <laughs> Thank you. And so that's what I'm saying is like everyone's having this shit show on the tech side too. So I would be very careful also with that. It reminds me also a lot of when NFTs were making the space and a lot of creatives were really complaining about how much they couldn't make money and labels were kind of like, I don't know. They were like, here's our answer, baby, a new revenue stream. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I want to end this off with uh, Google definitely did make a very astute point here that I do not want to cover over, which is that I think it is insanely intuitive for them to put this out in the first place. And I'll read this statement again. Generated samples will reflect the bias in the training data. There has been a lot of data in tech that especially one of the best places to look at is AI uh, photo recognition, for instance, especially mm-hmm. used to try to recognize someone like, let's say Joe went past a subway camera, right? 
it they're trying to do this facial recognition stuff where it's like, oh, we know who that is. That's Joe. He's fine. He's not, you know, a lot of time like a criminal or like a on the FBI's most wanted or something, right? One of the biggest things that has been warned about facial recognition, other than just, you know, the invasion of privacy, is the bias in the training data. Most facial recognition, mm-hmm. right? It is known. And this is why a lot of people throw their arms up, rightfully so, especially with policing about it, is that it's known that the training data that a lot of these recognition for AI software uses disproportionately hurts people that are not white. Why? Because it turns out the people who are putting in this data into the facial recognition software are mostly not that diverse. And they guess what? They put a shit ton of different white people in there and they don't put a lot of different people of different race and ethnicity in there, which means mm-hmm. that the facial recognition software blurs a bunch of stuff together. So they go, oh, this person looks like this person. And they go, absolutely not. It does not. But the racial, you know, the racial bias of the facial recognition software will go off like crazy and basically say, all these people look alike. And you're like, no, they don't. You know what I mean? I think, and here's my theory, I think AI will have the same problem musically, which is going to be interesting. Is yeah, that it's just like being able to distinguish between what's I think a real what will happen it, and what's not is that underrepresented communities, genres, and music will be gentrified and will end up mm. being like, this is what a hip hop beat sounds like. Know it? What? <laughs> this is like the it's most generic clown horns. Right, right, right. <laughs> Like, it's just a bunch of trap beats or something like that. And you're like, um, this is really stereotypical. And, you know, what they're also hitting at here is also can be very offensive because basically, what did I just do? I just went into Google and typed in, like, this type of music that may be associated with a minority group or an ethnicity. And it gave me this music that's identifying that. You know what I mean? This is where I'm getting at with AI is that I think there is a possibility here where you could have, you know, maybe some of these more obscure genres. And if these researchers, even at Google, but also even smaller firms aren't careful, they're going to make music that is very appropriative that they're going to make music. That's like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like this is what every song, you know, I'll give you like an example. Like imagine if, uh, you asked like 1950s song, you know, and everything was just, you know, I saw my baby, you know, like that, you know, it was also in the 1950s, Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, you know what I mean? And they're crooners and it didn't sound like that. Right. So that's like an example of a very gentle one, but you could get stuff where, you know, you could have race and ethnicities associated with some tor- sort of music in the cultural sphere, and that biasy come through the AI. And that's what I'm really curious about to see, because we've already have this problem with facial recognition software. So I, I would be shocked if it didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, if you put in something that's like, what is, uh, you know, um, music from Bangladesh like? And it was very stereotypical and not very, you know actually representative of the culture you know what i mean of music so Mm -hmm. that's what i worry about and then in my example of like the ad buyer stuff that's what i worry about where it's like somebody going we want to hit this key demographic in an ad thing oh we want to save money let's just generate the ai music and it just creates this really stereotypical piece of music that is you know from for some people very offensive you know what i mean and so that's what i think is interesting here is how are they going to prove 
that they're trying to represent from all different parts. If you give, cause there's no, there's no like stopping the AI, right? It doesn't have like a thing that goes, you can't say this or this or this. You can't ask this. It's all holds bar. So if you give mm-hmm. it something, it has to give you an answer. And if you didn't prepare it well enough, then it's not going to work. So I'm hoping that I'm glad that Google is from the beginning saying, Hey, this could be a problem. And not to mention, you know, we're talking about, um, privilege here like at the end of the day who could be like hey you know we want to represent we want to hit this um underrepresented community in our ad space let's just generate the music instead of like actually using an artist that's underrepresented you know what i mean like that's that's the other issue at play What, what do you think joe before we move on yeah i mean like i think when it comes to sheer numbers of usages of that kind of stuff of being able to generate after generate, you know, like infinite amount of different songs, uh, for ad buyers specifically, it's like very enticing. Um, I do think there is like, you do hit the, the way AI currently is laid out. You can hit a ceiling with it. It starts to regurgitate a lot of similar ideas that are in similar shapes. Right. And so, that will probably be fixed like years down the line um, for sure as it gets more and more sophisticated. Like I I saw like a graph that was like where ChatGPT was back in like 2012 versus where it was now. And it was like 2012, it was like had like the uh, speaking uh, cadence of like a three-year-old. And then like now it's like, you know, up to... uh, like 12 or something like that. And like each year it's like jumping dramatically. Like last year it was like nine and like this year it's like 12 or 13. And like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's going like to be taking the SAT soon. Yeah. I mean, it's getting smarter as the years go on because it's, it's getting more and more data and more training over certain situations. And like with each usage as well, like the prompts you give it, it's using those prompts as a training ground as well of like, how can this be improved? What, what am I seeing? What kind of new data am I going to be taking in? Um, I think like when it comes to the creative space, I truly think that, and maybe this is my bias, maybe I will get proved wrong. I don't think that AI has the capability, at least right now, to win over uh, a human when it comes to uh, the creative space and how to craft things where I think it is really, really great, which Colin, I don't know if you saw this is like, I think like, uh, it wasn't logic or it it, actually, it might've been logic that like had an AI plugin. And I talked about this on one of our episodes way back, like a year, maybe two years ago, that was like, AI is going to be used in order to create parts in your DAW. So where it's like, okay, I need like a drum fill here. Give me some drum fills. And now it's a thing (laughs) where you could just be like, AI, give me 20 drum fills and it'll give you options. And you just cycle through those options. And then you just choose which one you want to do. And I think AI, like you were saying, Colin, AI plus a human overseeing it well, I think could actually create some very unique and incredible stuff. Um, yeah. 
But I think where people think like, oh, I can just like type this into chat GPT and I'll get an A or, oh, I'll just, you know, let an AI write my song for me. It's not going to stick out. It's not going to be genuine um, like I think a lot of people crave when they're looking for entertainment. And so ad buyers are disingenuous and they're so keen (laughs) on the disingenuine. And so I think for them, it's, it's more like, Oh, we could just pop these out all the time and just inundate, uh, consumers with our product, with these tools. But I do think that you run the risk of like humans at the end of the day are going to be the ones marketed to. So it's like, they have a vote at the end of this. And so if they're getting all of this AI content and they're not interacting well with it, or there's too much of it and they're getting sick of it, then I think that it will change. And maybe it will go back to like an analog thing, right? Of like people having like a counterculture movement. It's all marketing, you know? Like, and but, the- yeah, I mean, it is. It's and- the whole thing. And like, ultimately, you know, this is much more flashy than NFTs and crypto is. It already um, looks better than both of those things ever did. So oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. I mean, like, I think I think it's safe to say that this is a product that actually we we're seeing results from fulfills a need. Yeah, fulfills a need. We're seeing results from it's a lot different. However, the tech bro hype is still very, very high. And so you have to be very careful when you look. I'm just glad we're not, we're, I'm fine. You know, I will call out bullshit. You know, if somebody says like, Hey, this thing is like doing all this crazy stuff. I'll go, really? Is it? But I'm glad that it's like, Hey, it's not, this thing is a monkey and it's in the worst art style you have ever seen in your life. And you should pay $3 million for it. (laughs) So we're going to consider it a win for humanity there. Um, So (laughs) anyway, Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. 
In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Joe, um, let's move on to our next topic. I know you have a very serious um, topic to go through here, so I want to give you yeah. everything uh, there. But, you know, as always... Yeah, this is... This is a trigger warning for anyone who's dealt with sexual assault. Um, so if you do not want to hear this, I advise um, you could honestly just turn off the episode at this point. Um, but uh, there's a couple of things that happened this past week. Uh, first is country star uh, Jimmy Allen faced accusations of sexual misconduct last week, um, as well as facing a civil lawsuit that was filed by a Jane Doe who claimed to be Allen's day-to-day manager uh, during the years of like 2020 to 2022. Um, The accuser stated that Allen, quote, manipulated and used his power over her job as a day-to-day manager uh, in order to, quote, sexually harass and abuse her over 18 months. She stated that she was, quote, on the verge of a nervous breakdown and considered committing suicide and went to disclose the problem to Uh, a man named Ash Bowers, who is uh, a manager as well as founder of uh, management company Wide Open Music. Um, And uh, they said that they were fired in retaliation to giving them that information. Allegedly, Uh, Allen, uh, yes, allegedly fired. Uh, Allen denied um, the claims, but admitted that he was having a consensual relationship with her while Bowers also refuted the claims, stating that the company quickly ended its relationship with Allen after learning of the relationship. Um, mm. Sounds like they also ended the relationship with their day-to-day manager as well. Uh, however, Allen's entire world seemed to crumble as his record label, um, BBR Music Group, uh, stated that it was suspending the singer and uh, his current management company, uh, the uh, Familiar. Uh, f- uh, f- I'm pretty sure it's familiar. <laughs> familiar, thank you. Uh, booking agency, uh, uh, his booking agency as well, UTA, also announced that they were doing the same. Now, critical to understand, suspension and dropping are two different things. Uh, they have not decided to drop him yet um, from these companies. Yeah. Uh, dropping is cons- is completely nixing the contract. It's completely fulfilling the duty and basically being like, we're done, done. Um, but suspension is usually like, you know, you're taken out of the public eye. You have things in your contract that usually say, Hey, if this happens, if this happens, and usually it's pages long in a lot of record contracts that say like, and they're vague sometimes too. They say like, if you're in the negative public light and the record label thinks that you're too negative right now, we can suspend your contract and stuff like that. So there, like Joe put it pretty well. It's, it's a hiatus. Um, mm-hmm. It's not the same as being dropped. It's like, you know, it, in the most capitalistic sense for most record labels, what they do, you know, for good or for worse is that they wait to see what happens with the allegations and to see if it is worth their company to keep a person or to get rid of them. But they would like that option before they get rid of them. So and a lot of the times during this as well, these companies distance themselves from the artist and will take down uh, things such as their 
their uh, profile on their website, and they will refuse to take meetings with the artist until. Now we don't know about this one. I don't think, but you know, it's like that's what some record labels will go to that extent is yeah. to distance themselves as far from it because no one of these companies wants to be associated as a you know ground for uh, this kind of sympathizing to with ha- like, happen. Yeah. Um, so it's a very serious, uh, situation. Um, and it's, uh, we, we have a lot to kind of wait and see, uh, to see what happens. I will say, um, if you are having a relationship with your day to day, uh, your day to day does not have any power over you. Um, as an artist, you are technically their boss because you are their boss's boss. Um, and so in any other sort of workplace, that is sexual harassment. Um, and it is that plain and simple. Uh, so to be honest, from my point of view, they absolutely have grounds to sue um, and will probably settle or uh, win. I, uh, I would some, imagine some form of, you know, there's the civil suit going on and that will probably be settled out of court, I would imagine. And then did you say there was a criminal case? Um, here too, um, I don't, or think, is it just I don't think there was a criminal case there. Okay. It, it seems to just be a civil case. Um, so the but, civil, yeah, the civil one has a, uh, if you guys have been watching the news with Donald Trump has a lower bar to, um, you know, get some sort of compensation as opposed to mm-hmm. a guilty plea in a criminal case, which is a higher, you know, standard of proof to put on there. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't give any legit, you know, dislegitimacy to this person who is trying to get some form of compensation from what they allege has occurred. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and like at the end of the day, this this kind of stuff, I think one of the most important things that we got to talk about here, this kind of stuff, you know, and you might notice I say a lot, allegedly, all this kind of stuff is that you have to very much play these games very carefully because, again, we don't know for sure, but we also want to give gravity of the situation that's going on here because these are very serious ap- applications. There could be something going on so malicious here that they deserve compensation and they should. But at the same time, the one thing that we I would say at the end of the day that's the most important thing here is that things like this do happen and yeah. it's not a rarity, especially in music. And I think one thing, Joe, that you've hit on a lot is there is a lot of Compared to a regular workplace, there is a lot and sometimes encouraged mixing of like mm-hmm. the personal and social, you know, life with the work life. And so there is situations like this that occur constantly. And so, you know, it, it if this case, you know, has good merit and all that kind of stuff, then I, you know, hope the best for this Jane Doe. And I'm sorry that they went through this. You know, at the same time, though, it's one of those things that, like you said, we have to wait and see, and we'll have to see if any other charges are added because of you know some of the. Yeah. Uh, sometimes this I, these cases. I like, have a strong suspicion it's going to settle. Um, but most of these kind of cases do settle, but at the same time, when it comes through kind of the ether, because you know, there's kind of this, there's kind of this. Uh, especially with cases like this, this, this has notoriety, you know what I mean? Like this is being covered Mm -hmm. by huge publications. So, you know, if there's other things going on anywhere around either Allen or maybe the management or anything, it will rise to the surface very 
fast. If there isn't, then there there is a you know there is a chance that this could be an isolated incident, but we just don't know. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I think there is a lot of in the music industry, a lot of people going like, "Oh no, we're all brothers and sisters here." No, there's still people that will be you know terrible people to each other. We just have to figure out, hopefully, in this lawsuit, what's going on. You know what I mean? To the be- and hopefully it's a you know fair and easy kind of case to settle and rightfully so to the accuser. You know what I mean? Yeah. So hundred percent. Um, on the other kind of, I guess like another genre, uh, in the spectrum of genres, um, similar situation, uh, happened with, uh, artist slow tie who, uh, appeared in British court Tuesday, May the 16th, uh, for two charges of rape. He put out a statement on Instagram stating, Quote, regarding the allegations being reported about me, I categorically deny the charges. I am innocent and I am confident my name will be cleared. Until then, I will apply my energy to ensure this is concluded swiftly and justly. I ask that my supporters don't comment about this situation and respect the process and privacy of my family during this time. So far, nothing has been reported on the exact situation that occurred. Um, but he's being charged with oral and vaginal penetration of a woman without her consent in Oxford um, that occurred in September of 2021. Um, And as of right now, Method Music's uh, site, which is his label, um, is down completely. Um, It, it, when you pull it up, it pulls up a a comeback later uh, page, which basically means that they're doing maintenance to the site most likely taking down slow tie uh, release stuff and slow tie um, photos. Um, And he is also nowhere to be found on his agent's website, which is Wasserman. Um, And his photo and bio still remain on his publisher site, BMG. Um, But most everything else has been wiped, like his social media. I mean, you go on his Instagram, everything's wiped. He turned his uh, bio or like bio photo black. And like, it's very like... Bear? I, I don't know. It's honestly a bit dramatic in like a bad way because <laughs> it, to be honest, in, in my view, it it's showing it's, it's not the greatest PR move. It feels like you know? almost theatrical. Yeah, it feels like he's using this as a moment almost. And like, I, I, kn- I know that like maybe that's not the case, but like at least at least on his Instagram, it, it seemed a little like, okay, man, come on. But um, the couple things like Colin, what, what are your thoughts over, um, over slow ties response here? Uh, cause the thing that sticks out to me is the, I ask that my supporters don't comment about the situation. Um, like I, I feel like as this situation is so incredibly sensitive and important in the grand scheme of like uh, women in the music industry, women in general dealing with sexual assault and harassment. I feel like these conversations should be happening, be happening. Right. I do think that is a very strange comment to make, um, especially, you know, um, it's like to me, it reads as don't trash my name. 
I mean, if, kind of, with, I got to play, you know, uh, uh, these are, you know, I got to play both sides here, sadly, because, you know, legal reasons, but alleged, you know, these alleged things that are happening is that, you know, if he's really, if he categorically denies the charges and he believes he is innocent and confident in my name, right? I would understand maybe that he has maybe emotions about this or whatever, and he feels that if he if he actually feels that he is confident that he is innocent, you know what I mean? Like he may be just aggravated and asking people not to add to the aggravation. But I do think that is kind of a a very over the top thing to ask someone who is going through a giant, very very public case, you know what I mean? And the severity of yeah. this case. And so I, you know, I think, I, I think it's a lot to even ask fans, you know what I mean? I think that it's, um, I, I think that, you know, any kind of, I completely respect the second part of the sentence, respect the process of privacy of the family. Oh, he said of my family. I said, okay, yeah, I wouldn't, mess with his family. You know what I mean? I wouldn't, if I was a fan, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be like, I'm going to solve this case. I mean, unless you had actual, you know, information that is useful to the court, you know what I mean? But I think that at the end of the day, um, it's a, it's a little bit over the top and uh, asking a lot to not comment on a case that is this severe. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think it is unorthodox at all to be, questioning if maybe slow tie was one of your favorite artists to be like hey man what's what the hell is going on you know what i mean yeah and it feels I mean, I a think little it's your right as a fan to ask these questions right and you know at the same time i think if he really does feel that he is innocent and you know confident his name will be cleared it feels like one of those things that he would you know want his supporters to be like you know talkative to him and him being like yes i don't think this is real you know i get it i think that a lawyer is telling him hey don't say anything this is the one statement you're gonna say and we're gonna leave you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so maybe that's why he maybe he's like oh i don't want my fans to ask me these questions and then me not being able to answer them from a lawyer but even then don't even pose the statement you know what i mean and so i i i don't I don't really support that statement as much. And I hope that legally, you know, justice is served whichever way needs to happen. You know, again, at the end of the day, we're not sure of the whole thing, but I do believe in, you know, the ability of, you know, the court system to hopefully find justice for these people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I, that's, that's probably the, you know, the worst part about it is that, um, from a record label and an agency side, I look at this and I go, look, I mean, there are, I'm not going to be not in this case, not in the previous case or whatever, but there, you know, there are real cases that we have found in entertainment through time that inexplicably there has been evidence from a very long time that something like this was occurring, right? That some sexual misconduct was happening and stuff like that. And to be honest, it has, bubbled to the surface a lot in the recent years due to, you know, uh, more publicity of this kind of stuff, social media in general, right? The Me and Too movement. The Me Too movement uh, as well. And I think that it is one of the most difficult things in entertainment to navigate at all. I mean, 
from a label side, I think there are labels, maybe in this case, that they they don't know anything. You know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, they may, they don't know what every moment of their artist they're doing. You know what I mean? And sometimes yeah. there's bad people that are signed well, to artists. And, and, and so they, the want, they want to be so separated. People, people are aware of kind of these relationships that artists have with these companies. Um, a lot of the time, you will have contacts in those companies but you are not seeing these contacts or talking to these contacts daily you like maybe will have like i would say the 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 average of artists right like on like let's say mid-tier artists right will have label meetings maybe once every two weeks right and it's on a zoom and like you 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 know people but you're not like actively hanging out with those people all the time you're not friends with these people you are making relationships but it's not like i wouldn't say that they're like close relationships so it's it's not as like close as i think a lot of fans on the surface level see but there, you know, at the same time, there are people that do form relationships with their artists there are, that are above and beyond. Sure. And so, like, that, that, that is also not to say that, too. And the same thing I would say is that also your management company, though, is your literally day-to-day. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, your management is, is very much having the most conversations with you. Um, but even then, I would also argue, too, like, I mean, you can't, the thing is, it's like, I I think a lot of the times when these things happen, it's like, let's eat all these other people up as well. But it's like, sometimes you don't know what a person is doing behind closed doors. Absolutely. um, Which is, I think, an important distinction because I think everyone has had what they thought to be a friend do something bad that they did not think that they would do. Um, and in some cases it is much more extreme than others. And sometimes it's important, I think, to kind of take a step back and realize that, you know, these people working in the industry are not, you know, just because they, they work on this project doesn't mean that they are like enabling them to do this bad behavior. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you know, you can make the argument, you know, oh, well, they're feeding, you know, the beasts or something like that. Yeah. But at now, the same time, okay, it's but like, like you, when it's, when it's like the, burger records, that's like a different situation, right? It, Where it's, it's like, kind of weird. If you think about it though, it's like labels historically and agents and managers, unlike a lot of other businesses, like the recent social media movement of, you know, everything's on the table. You know, if you say something off of work that is very off color and terrible, it can come back to you at work. You know what I mean? And it, it, you're done. You know what I mean? And I mm-hmm. think that's for the better, right? I think that that really eliminates a lot of, you know, enabling of hate in this world. Um, but at the same time, if you think about it, that's an invention of the social media age, right? Like we, we did stuff like that in the 50s and 60s, but, you know, it's more of a slower build. You know what I mean? Oh, we heard of that, this. And honestly, some of it was just you know, stuff that was gauche back then that is social norms now, you know what I mean? But now the speed of everything is crazy. But the thing that I was going to say is that even then there was kind of this mentality of, oh, well, that's, that's what you do in your life. You know what I mean? That's separate from your work. 
You know what I mean? There was a culture of saying that, like, your work is separated from your personal life. So whatever you do off hours, that won't affect here, right? As long as you show mm-hmm. up to work and you work, that's it. What's what's kind of interesting to think about is that artists aren't like that. Things that artists do and have been doing literally since the 20s, 30s, 40s, they were always on. If somebody heard about something crazy that some artist did and it was so gauche and bad and terrible, that could affect your work life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like if, you know, and that came into, you know, points of discrimination as well, but also justifiably points that are terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's, for instance, we talked about it when he passed away, Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, had a relationship with his 14-year-old cousin. They were married, right? And there's a thing about that, which is kind of insane to think about, is that back then, if he wasn't famous, that would have just probably gone by the wayside. It would have been gauche. You know what I mean? It would have been terrible. I hope that people in the community do something about it. But at the same time, the reason that he was, you know, so publicly panned is because he was such in the life limelight. And that's what artists have always been like, right? If you do mm-hmm. something off off mic, there is no off mic, right? Like you are always on mic. You are your your job is to be watched and entertained, even when you're not entertaining, right? So yeah. what that's what I think is probably one of the weirdest things about this is that especially in this day and age, and as we've seen that go into the regular workplace, I think that there is a huge prevalence of artists that have situations that enable them to prey on people. But at the same time, it's something that the entertainment industry has struggled with historically for decades. And at the same time, though, I wish there maybe there's somebody who's smarter than I could make a study about it. It's kind of like that same argument where I said, does the industry bring damaged people or does the industry damage people? right? It's almost like Mm -hmm. that. Does the industry attract people that are predators, right? Or does it create people with power and influence to make them into, you know what I mean? That's kind of the question here, not to, you know, take away uh, personal liability in any way, right? All of these are personal decisions, but at the end of the day, like that's what makes the entertainment industry a different beast. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, Again, I have to know we we don't we don't know about these cases, right? And not to put any legitimacy towards either side, it has to be determined by the court of law, you know. And I wish both sides, you know, because again, we don't know which one is the correct side. Let's say, you know, which one is quote unquote lying or not lying. We have to wait, and I hope that you know, historically, the court has not been great with that. But I hope that in these cases, you know evidence is brought up equally for both sides and it's given a fair shot. You know what I mean? And so we'll have to see. I I think, I think it's going to be interesting, especially um, with, you know, the way that this is presented between the two cases, Um, the personal nature of Jimmy Allen's case and how the day-to-day manager is involved, but that is a civil case. And then the severity of, um, slow ties one with these two giant criminal charges. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's two different, it's two different um, situations completely. So um, 
we'll, we'll just have to see. And I, I hope that justice is served, but sadly, a lot of times it's not, you know what I mean? For whatever side, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> I know. I think like, I think like it, the court system, the American court system, let's be honest. It's not, it's not a game of whether it is, you are correct. It's more of a who can last the longest and who has the most money. I know. And that's uh, what I'm saying. It's like, I hope and pray and whatever and, that it's done right. But you know, historically it's not. Yeah. But that's the thing of like, I think hopefully you will all be able to see more evidence as like these things come out and then you can make your own judgment on that. Yeah, personal point. decisions, you know? And so yeah. we'll, we'll see about that. I mean, by the end of the day, it's like, yeah, I, I, um, there, there is a game here being played with these labels and management and stuff like that. And it will be have to determine, you know, it will be have to be determined, you know, if there's liability between these organizations around these individuals, if they act, if they did something. Yeah. You know I'm, I mean? I'm honestly very interested in like the Jimmy Allen, the, the management company situation. Um, yeah. Cause if that's true, that company is in big, big, big trouble. Right. And like uh, I said, a lot of these lawsuit ca- coming their way. A lot of these so. cases have a chance of opening up other cases. So, you know, and, and legitimate or not, you know, and so that's, that's what's going to be interesting here is like you're saying, sometimes it is a game of who can survive the longest, not who's right. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just, um, again, the biggest hope is justice, but you know, in this day and age, sadly, that's not a guarantee. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, off of that bummer, um, what have you been listening to this week, Colin? Um, so let's see. I, uh, man, it's, it's been a weird week. Uh, I'll be honest. We opened it up and I talked about Zelda a lot. Um, you know, uh, but I have been listening, 
uh, to some of the Zelda soundtrack for Tears of the Kingdom, which is wonderfully orchestrated as an orchestra nerd myself. But uh, I'll give you a couple. So one of the ones that I really I've actually been listening to is uh, one of the most underrated and I cannot believe this. Sorry. I'm about to talk about Weezer and I clicked on their profile thing (laughs) on YouTube music and the description, you know, usually the description on like YouTube music is like this band formed in 1999, you know, and came out their description is just like Weezer, just keeping it wheezy. (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, (laughs) Weezer, I think I, I, there's a very underrated album that kind of goes by the wayside with Weezer. And, um, I, I stick up for it a lot. It's called Maladroit. Um, and it's actually funny enough. It's their fourth record, which is so weird. Um, well, it's just literally, like, it's literally one of the first four records, which is like, you know, with Weezer, it feels like there's like a thousand of them now. And, uh, yeah, this is the first four. And so we're in the fourth one and they made this after the green album, which is when, if you don't know the thing about Weezer, they put two albums out in like in the nineties, the second album did not do well. They took a 10 year hiatus and then they came back and then they were kind of, you know, they had Island in the sun and they were doing okay. And then they had this album that didn't do as well, but it's like a very different flavor of Weezer. It very much reminds me of like, I call it the college rock album from them. Uh, again, it's called Maladroit. Uh, if you want to listen to it, it's just like what I imagine 2002 college radio would play. Like uh, my favorite is probably uh, the song called Dope Nose, and then also uh, Burnt Jam. Burnt Jam is like super college rock, very like high vocals, like kind of nonsense lyrics. We're just going through it, having a fun time, but the drum groove of it is really fun. And then dope knows. I really like, um, because it, it's just got like, it's just got like this very like aggressive kind of tone. But I also like that, uh, the, I believe it would be their third bass player is still their bass player who I really like Scott Schreiner. Um, he sings this song live, which is really cool. So if you ever look up Dope Nose Live, it's probably him singing it, which I always think it's really cool to see bands be like, nah, you know what? You sing this song. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm looking up right now. This is the first album that he's on too. So I'm pretty sure that he maybe had a pretty big deal with this song. So it's, it's really fun to watch him like on stage. They'll be like, yeah, why don't you sing this? Um, and so I think more bands should do that. I think it'd be fun. You know what I mean? Just be like, ah, you know what? Why don't you sing the song? That would be sick. Um, I've been listening to the new James Ivy album that just came out. It is called everything perfect. It is, uh, it is a perfect record as well. Um, no, I, I love this record. It's very like the cover is so sick. Um, like the album art is so cool. It's like very, it reminds me a lot of like early 2000s albums um, where it was like, is that very modernistic um, font and like uh, kind of design choice of, of like um, collage and stuff like that. It's really cool. Um, and the music is amazing as well. And then also I've been listening to a delusional world champion by Jane Dawson and um, not Jane Dawson, but G- Jean Dawson. I thought you were about to uh, say Jane Austen, and I was like, hello. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, two different people. Um, super sick song. Uh, and then Na 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 song by Charlie Adams, uh, who is a Nashville native uh, who actually moved out here to L.A. Um, as well. And 
is coming out with uh, their new music that uh, highly anticipated um, because Charlie had a first record that a lot of people really, really love. And so this is like really cool that she's coming out with um, some new stuff. So I can't wait to hear what else is going on. And then NYE, new single from Local Natives came out as well. It's really sick. Definitely recommend checking it out. Sweet. Um, but yeah, uh, on that point, goodbye. Guys, thanks for listening to the Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. We sure do appreciate you out there. If you want to go one step further, rate the show wherever you're listening to, send it to a friend, follow us on social media at the Biz Tape, pretty much everywhere. You've heard this spiel before. Anyway, guys, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. We so do appreciate you out there. And at the end of the day, we hope to see you next time. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.